Section 4 of the Roosevelt-Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Cody Spain of Dallas, Texas. www.codyspain.com The Roosevelt-Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission, by Candido Rondon, translated by R. G. Wrighty and Edwin Murray. First Lecture, Part 3. Having now obtained a couple of canguins and specimens of anteaters and capybrias, Mr. Roosevelt declared that he was perfectly satisfied on this score. There was no necessity to go to the Farim Fazada, where jaguars never fail, these hunts only interested him as a means of furnishing the necessary elements for the divulation of useful knowledge, and not for the purpose of revealing his abilities as a marksman, or of running extraordinary adventures capable of oblonging an admiring world to proclaim him as the champion shot or the prime interparis of risk-killers of wild beasts." Besides the political situation created in the United States, owing to the developments in connection with the intervention in Mexico, filled his mind with constant preoccupation, the duties and the responsibilities which pertained to him as a statesman, and the herd of a political party were ever before him, not only because he felt them nearly and knew them well, but also because he was increasingly receiving from his country appeals from his party complaining of his absence at the moment so full of danger in the life of the nation. Therefore, this best effort was directed towards hastening the completion of the enterprise commenced in Brazil so as to be able to return with the shortest possible delay to New York. And in order to attain this result, he did not hesitate from the moment he arrived in Brazil up to his departure to sacrifice all the appeared to him not strictly indispensable to the nature and the great outlines of the expedition. Consequently, on the evening of the 23rd, the Noiax steamed out from the landing place of the Fazenda de Palomares, taking on board our guest and all his party, proceeding to the Viseos de Cio Jaio, where he would be met by the president of the state of Mato Grosso. On the morning of the 27th, we began ascending the river Cabaya. It was important, however, that we should not arrive before there was good light for taking photographs. The ship therefore anchored at 8 p.m. in front of Armachio, a name which recalls the work done by the original inhabitants of the region in their task of enlarging, and at the cost of the swamps and marshes, the area of the firms, firm land, or cumes, highlands, which inasmuch as they remained dry where the rivers overflowed and spread, the waters along this vast expedition of camp afforded the only points where it was possible for the inhabitants of the submerged territory to escape alive. At the dawn of the 28th, we continued to ascend the river Cobaya, who we sighted on the left an Indian village of the Gotios tribe, eternal canoemen, sighted by Cato de Magias, and before nine o'clock we saw the boat. Matteo Grasso! followed by the launch, having on board the President of the State and his followers, who were desirous of anticipating their greeting and courteous attentions with which they had planned to welcome Brazil's honored guests. 
Still on the same day, Maziers. Roosevelt and Costa Manriquez accompanied me on a small hunting excursion. On the day of the 29th, or December, the rain was so copious that it was impossible to get any results from hunting or to attend the redio, roundup, of the cattle in which we were to take part, 6,000 head, rounded up and assembled by mounted cowboys. Mr. Roosevelt noted his desire to descend the River Cabaya without further delay, but this was only made possible on the morning of the 30th. Even so, we all stopped at several points on the banks of the South Lucrea, which appeared to us to be as suitable for obtaining the zoological specimens common to the marshlands. On the 1st of January, while ascending the river, we decided to make another beat for jaguars. We left the dogs loose on the left bank, while the hunters continued downstream in the Chilians, a kind of barge. Shortly before seven o'clock, the Onkiras, jaguar dogs, showed signs that they had encountered a trail. We leaped on the shore and entered the jungle, through the swamps, towards the point whence the barking came. As we advanced, fresh difficulties arose, hindering our marsh. Now we had to free ourselves from the insidious firmness of immense quagmires, formidable enemies that conquer by giving way. Then we were obliged to wade in the extensive marshes in inextricable jungle, through which we could only force our way by the weight of our own bodies. Although our feet were entangled at every step in the network of cane stalks already bent down and trodden over, then again there were the caroxes, depressions of the ground, along which in the beginning of the summer the last waters of the floods run out and return to the beds of the river. The floods, however, announced themselves by invading them, and we found them like so many large rivers which we were forced to swim across, holding up our guns at arm's length to avoid them getting wet. The sun was already high up in the sky. The heat worried us. Not one of our party, however, thought of giving up. The hope of meeting two jaguars which we could see their trail were ahead of us, closely followed by the dogs, interning themselves more and more in the vastness of the swamps. They were evidently some very sly beast which, on one or more occasion, had been chased by the hunters of the neighboring ranches, and had become more and more wily. They fled without showing fight. We were without breakfast, and two of our companions, both Brazilians, felt their strength giving way. Mr. Roosevelt, however, and his son maintained their vigor admirably, and resisted the fatigue of the hard marsh. At midday we arrived at the margin of a big corixa. I proposed to Mr. Roosevelt to stop there whilst his son, with the two zagueros, followed up the hunt. Having accepted this alternative, we remained waiting for the Kermit nearly two hours, and then we decided to return to the river, coming out farther above the point where we had disembarked in the morning. I'd previously sent one of the men in the captain of the Noyak to ask him to send the launch up to the spot where he'd hoped to get out, by a much shorter road than the one we had gone over during the chase. Mr. Roosevelt and I succeeded in getting on board the steamer at five o'clock, but our two companions remained behind, extenuated, waiting for assistance and food, which we sent them from the ship. Finally, in the evening, the whole party returned to the Noyak including Mr. Kermit, who informed us that it had been impossible to sight the jaguars because the dogs were being worn out, had lost all courage, 
and would not continue the chase. We emphasize this incident in order to take the opportunity to refer to the physical resistance and endurance with which Mr. Roosevelt is gifted, and which he, during the course of the expedition, gave proof. So much vigor in a man of more than fifty years of age, accustomed to city life and sedentary work, surprised us. And it is the more extraordinary, because in the midst of the fatigues and the great inconveniences of these long journeys on foot, on horseback or in canoes, sometimes under heavy rainstorms and other times under unbearable heat, he never once interrupted his intellectual practices. He showed himself to be extremely fond of reading. For this purpose, an essential part of his baggage was made up of many cases, containing a large number of books recently published, some on politics, others on social questions, and the remainder on natural history. A volume of one of these works he always had with him. He scarcely arrived at a resting place or a momentary halt when he wouldn't cover the ground with a hide, throw himself onto it, and recommence his studies as if no other thing in the world preoccupied him, except to find an opportunity of continuing his interrupted hobby. After the hard and fruitless journey of the 1st of January, we descended into the Sao La Creole, and got into the river Paraguay, again directing our course upstream, towards South Luis de Queres. At this period of the year, the marsh is invaded by the waters, which extend inland out of sight. Winding between the hills covered with verdure looks like an immense lake with a smooth, quiet surface, into which we reflected the beautiful palm trees, known as caritas, and the Eucharist with their graceful trunks towering towards heaven. The life of the delighted region concentrates itself in these enchanting refuge. Emerging from the midst of the great flood, in the dense of its woods, the famished jaguars prowl roaring and goaded on by its sexual instinct, which makes it more than ever fearless. Whilst the grotesque boquio, monkey, jumps about on its branches of the trees, and the black flock of bugitos, in contrast with their ecarets, with their pure white feathers, keep him company. Daybreak, tingling the skies, the land, and its extensive sheet of water, with myriads of changing hues, casting in some places deep shadows, and in others, replanscendent brilliancy, binding the milky whiteness of a cloud with a border of burning cinder red, inlaying the gold, the emerald colors, waves of the foliage, all the charms our imagination, and throws us beyond the circle in which we are enclosed by the ordinary flow of our thoughts and reflections. Mr. Roosevelt went into the raptures at this marvelous sight, and declared that never in his life had he experienced similar emotion to that which he had felt whilst gazing at our country's pictures of nature. On the afternoon of the 4th of January, we anchored at the landing place of the Fazita de Delasquil, now the property of Mr. Facuar, who had acquired it from the Belgian syndicate called Probidos Calidas, more or less two years ago. Its first owner formed this property with his assistance of the Barrio Indians of Camphia, and in its prairies are more than two hundred square leagues that existed at the same time, about six hundred thousand head of cattle, some of which it reported were driven to this property from the National Cattle Farm of Casira, 
Besides stealing, government's cattle has become a lucrative and above all easy profession of Brazilians and even of Bolivians. To steal a few head of cattle from private farms was difficult, because in this case the fact was qualified as robbery, and whoever committed the same was called a thief and treated as such. At the death of its rich owner, his heirs sold the Devado property for a mere song to the firm of Cabillas and Company in the Argentinian Republic, and the latter firm resold it to the aforesaid syndicate, of which King Leopold was a member. The Belgians explored the cattle of this enormous property by a period of thirty years, slaughtering some as they came in, the rodeo, without either method or selection. The new owners intended continuing the extract of meat industry, which was carried on by the Belgians. But for the present day, they are simply attending to the renewal and the increase of their stock. There, Mr. Roosevelt was heartily welcomed by his countrymen, the manager of the establishment, a cowboy from Texas, being in charge of superintending the peons, who were almost entirely Paraguayans. The best cowboys were introduced to him personally, and he chatted with them regarding the duties of their profession. Taking up his journeys again, we arrived on the afternoon of the 5th, at the town of St. Louis de Caras, where the population together, with the officers of the 5th Battalion of Engineers, welcomed our guests with usual honors. From there we proceeded on the following morning, and continued our ascent of the River Paraguay, making for Porto de Campo, on the River Septuia, where we arrived after three o'clock p.m. on the 7th of January. The Noyak could proceed no further. We therefore landed, and for the time pitched our tents, forming a camp for almost all the members of the expedition. We remained in the camp until the 13th, not only in order to give launch, called Angio de Ventura, which belonged to Casa de Luz of Carias, time to effect the transportation of all the baggage and of part of the soldiers from Porto de Campo to Teleprion, but also for the purpose of completing the collection of large mammals with which Mr. Roosevelt was making. In the various hunting expeditions which we undertook in the course of those days, we killed several deer, precarious, tapirs, and monkeys. End of Section 4 Recorded by Cody Spain of Dallas, Texas www.codyspain.com